Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind, we're discussing more movies of 1992. I'm your host, Michael, and Jacob is on the other side. On the other side uh, of the Pacific uh, West. Yeah, we're, we're having trouble adjusting to the fact that it's 5.30 for me, but it's only 2.30 for you, and <laughs> I'm not used to that because it used to be on the same timeline. <laughs> Uh, so we can line it up better with you when you uh, get out of work. So we have to do them on the weekends now because when you get out of work, I think, God, and you're ready to record, it's like 9 o'clock here. And I'm just like, I'm old. I can't do that anymore. Oops, I pooped my diaper. I can't. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. But if anything, it would be more like a 6 or 7. You'd probably just be getting home. Well, yeah, but you like to settle in first. And I don't want to rush you. Um, nobody likes a Russian person. Depends if I have to cook. Um, so, uh, you're going to notice something weird at the end of this episode. I found an old episode that I've been sitting on forever from the vaults that we did, I want to say 2015, uh, where we discussed, uh, Mom and Dad Save the World and, uh, Stay Tuned. I found an old episode we have, we have, I've never re-uploaded. And, uh, so we're in the movies for 1992. So that's going to be at the end of this episode. So when we say goodbye, we're not really saying goodbye because you're going to get that vintage episode slapped on the end. Exactly. Also, I need to get those on Blu-ray. I have to find Mom and Dad. I, I, I don't. I, I, stay tuned, I believe, is a Warner Archive Blu-ray now. And um, uh, Mom and Dad Save the World, HBO is just sitting on. I don't know what's going on with them, but there's something weird going on with their uh, catalog. And I've noticed that some of the movies that they've been distributing and held on to forever, just kept them on DVD, are now starting to come out on Blu-ray, but from different companies. So I wonder if their deals are over with. Um, cause No Escape, uh, with Ray Liotta just got announced as coming out on Blu-ray. Last, The Dogman and, uh, A Bronx Tale with, uh, with, um, uh, Robert De Niro. They're all finally hitting DVD, or Blu-ray, and they're always an HBO exclusive. So I'm hoping that Mom and Dad Save the World finally goes somewhere else. Exactly. I mean, yeah, Discovery did just buy that portion of Warner Media. Yeah, and well, the whole Warner thing is being cut up because they're 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 shutting out so much of DC, or they're reorganizing with somebody else, and uh, they're starting to uh, license their catalog out to Shout Factory. Thank you. Um, so so that New Light Cinema and other stuff is finally you know the catalog that's been sitting around forever is finally getting on Blu-ray. But uh, let's not get too far off on a tangent here. Let's uh, start discussing the films of 1992. Uh, the first one up is the director's cut of Last Mohicans, and I got to tell you right now. I don't know the difference because I haven't seen the first one in forever. <laughs> so I don't know what it was extended. Right. I think the first time I'd seen it, well, my mom would always watch it on HBO, but I've never seen it from the beginning entirely. Uh, I, would always, I saw it in, like, I think junior year in high school. Because okay. we were going through it, like, traditional, um, like, heroes uh, in that particular uh, Eng in English literature and how Tecumseh, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, is uh, not that kind of not your traditional hero like you would see everywhere else yeah this uh was a huge hit considering that movies in the fall of 1992 were not well movies in the fall were not known for making money period but 1992 was hit with three big action movies uh and last Mohicans was the first one then it was under siege and then passenger 57 and that threw everybody off like what action sells in the fall that's weird and um, this is the one that got all the prestige and it is such a gorgeous lush production but it is pretty fucking brutal i know there's oh, been yeah, early, yeah there's other adaptations of this that are all tv based and they pull the punches this one does not so be prepared yeah no absolutely oh god especially with this guy i mean heck you can even see it 
from Madeline Stowe and Jody May's point of view, like when they're ambushed uh, on their way to uh, the fort to meet their father, who's like a Scottish general of the British Army. This right. takes place in 1756. This is before uh, the American Revolution and uh, independence and all that. So, you know, you have the colonials living there, doing their own things, you know, trying to coexist. And then, of course, there's like different tribes settling in. And as far as the casting, I mean, Oh my god! Yeah, West Tootie as a uh, Magua as the protagonist. Yeah, he. This is oh, antagonist, I would say, because he's more of the villain. Antagonist, yeah. Yeah, this is his breakout role. This is what all of a sudden everybody knew him from, and then you know, sadly, he would mostly be cast as villains unless it was a TV role. But I think he's a really great actor. Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, uh, you can, especially considering like what we've known now throughout history, like what truly has been happening to indigenous people still to this day it's like you can't help but like kind of be on magua's side plus we ended up killing up the french 20 uh we kicking out the british 20 years later anyway yeah <laughs> but like uh, again he was going too far especially in that one particular scene when he goes to um bring the daughters of uh the scottish general i can't remember his name i just know he's scottish and he had an attitude and he was giving uh, Daniel Day Lewis's character some shit. Over, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to look here. For some reason, the cast won't load up. I see the names, but not the faces. I didn't realize half these people were even in the movie. Call Meany, Dylan Baker, Jared Harris. I didn't see any of them. Terry Kinney, they're all character actors, and I didn't see any of them in this. I don't see the one guy. Oh, there he is. Uh, Jack Winthrop. Uh, I just remember to know him from uh, the Van Damme movie. Um, he's with him, Rosanna Kett. Uh, mm. whatever that's the only other thing I ever saw him in but after this what I, what I love and I want to say about Wes Studi is he's the best part <laughs> of Mystery Man so fucking good oh god <laughs> well, yes he's great in Deep Rising so he can't play more than just a villain um this is Daniel Day-Lewis's probably most accessible movie I would say everything oh, yeah. else is I mean maybe Gangs in New York but this is the one that's made for a mainstream audience this is like the only time that he ever played with that because he always wants these difficult almost unlikable roles because even his Lincoln is kind of mm, you know like oh <laughs> this isn't meant yeah. to sell tickets to the mainstream audience oh exactly yeah no I mean especially after a covering the Lincoln Diaries and actual historical documents Lincoln was just like well whatever it takes to preserve the union that was pretty much his old attitude but this yeah it was definitely his most most accessible and likable role. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he, he's not like indigenous, but he was like adopted and, you know, accepted by them. I remember and, uh, we, we we used to joke before memes existed, kids, we would just say this stuff to each other, but <laughs> we'd always go, hey, uh, I'm gonna go get lunch now. I'll, I'll see you later. And they'd go, well, no matter where you go, I will find you. Like, overrun. <laughs> just I know, constantly like saying this, hey, I left something out in the car. I'll be right back. Wherever you go. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. There, now, there was a little romantic, the, the little sprinkle of romanticism right there, where he's confessing, where he's like professing his love for Madeline Stowe right then and there. I, and spoilers: the end with his, with her sister is absolutely oh. fucking brutal. And his brother, I mean, he gets there first, and he has to stop them, and he doesn't stand much of a chance, but he does it anyway. And it's just, oh, and then she just throws herself off the cliff. Fucking horrifying. They're so close to saving her, too. Well, exactly. Considering how brutal um, Magua, you know, West Studi's character is, it's like she doesn't want any part of that. Right. And she's already been traumatized enough as it is. It's like it's it's almost like it's never ending for her. It was. It was. It was so fucked up. But then, 
comes their dad, Chingachuk, spoiler, bam, beats the shit out of Magua. Yeah. Like, no contest. Split his face. I remember seeing that the first time and it exploding, like, his elbow. And I was like, whoa, what am I seeing here? Holy shit. Yeah. It, you know what the, the fucking Daniel Day-Lewis's, like, name, like, his nickname within the movie was Hawkeye. I'm like, oh, gosh, any Marvel fan would freaking love that. Yeah, so this is public domain, obviously, because it's a very old story. Uh, so I think maybe two years after this, there is a TV show called Hawkeye. It lasted one season. It's just about to be released on DVD for Dirt Cheap. It has uh, Linda Carter playing uh, uh, Madeline Stowe's character and Lee Horsley, who's kind of known for like westerns and stuff like that. Uh, it only lasted one season. It wasn't bad. Mm, that I never knew. Yeah, I felt like it was just this. It only this movie was made, and it's not something you could ever touch again. This did it perfectly. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of a, I don't know if it was a, I think it's a continuation after the movie with like what their lives were like after, because I believe that there's a sequel book-wise, I think. Uh, mm. James Warner Cooper, I thought, wrote another one. But um, this saved Michael Mann's career. Uh, he had uh, a couple TV movies, and, and you know, he had basically worked in television during the 70s. And then he had a minor hit with a movie uh, James Caan helped get made called Thief, which is one of the greatest movies of the 80s. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, then Manhunt or The Keep uh, bombed really badly Manhunter bombed really badly even though it's a cult hit now that was the one responsible for introducing us to Hannibal Lecter um, Miami Vice oh. kept him afloat but he went back to TV so this is his first foray back in theaters in six, six or seven years and if this hadn't been successful we would not have Heat and that's one of the oh. best crime movies of all time Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And also, he did Collateral with Jamie Foxx and uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Right? And so after this, he kind of, I mean, he had a couple dips. Like, The Insider didn't do very well, but it was critically acclaimed and got Academy Award nominations. So it was a slow progress. I can't, I don't think he's done anything since Black Hat with Chris Hemsworth. He has a new uh, TV show called Tokyo Vice on HBO. Um, oh. Yeah. So that's Michael Mann's yeah. work. But yeah, this really, really saved his career. Um,. Yeah, this is really great, but it's like I said, it's pretty brutal. So uh, be aware. Oh yes, <laughs> be prepared if you're going to show it to a classroom. <laughs> you could say it's quite heart stopping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is our next film? Next one. Oh God, Home Alone Two, dude. I absolutely, I still love this sequel to this day. I love how they upped up some of the jokes. Yep. And um, just like really switched it up. I'm going to uh, to do a hot take. One of the first hot takes I've ever done on this show. It's kind of better than the first movie, even though it repeats a lot of things. The first movie, it works better, I think. Is that crazy? Oh, absolutely. Not necessarily. No. Oh god. And particularly uh, when Kevin's, you know, again lost in New York after the little after the little mishap at the airport, thinking he followed his dad. I mean, who, how many people have that same coat? Oh, oh, oh my god, I forgot! I forgot! How did I fucking forget? My grandfather is in the background in, in one of the scenes. Shut up! Yeah, he was really? an accidental extra. He was at the airport while they were filming, and I forgot to even look for him. I just remember now. He says, oh yeah, you see my bald head or something like that in the background. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh my god, that's good. Uh, that, that's freaking awesome. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> my attention man. Forces me he's immortalized now within that clip yeah uh, but yeah no um yeah after that little mishap you know being up in new york uh and then he when he's up 
up to his usual hijinks of, you know, outwitting, you know, Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci. There's that one scene where Daniel Stern's like trying to turn on a sink, but it's like hooked up to like a battery and he's being electrocuted and he's shrieking and he turns into a skeleton. <laughs> yeah, the stunts are much more elaborate. I love that they found a way to still continue that uh, that that trend, but there's still, like, there's a big lead-up. He's in New York, so it's a bigger scope, there's a bigger cast, there's the whole setup with him being in the hotel and he's got to come up with a way, you know, to pretend like his dad's at business and, you know, and all that stuff. I think it's just more elaborate and I think it's, the, I, I just think it's just, there's there's extra beats put into the jokes that make it work just a little bit better, and I the fact that also they take it out of his little quiet neighborhood in Chicago. Um, well, I mean, the only way else could you make it more dramatic is hey, <laughs> take him to a city where there's constant violence and no one's gonna give a shit. <laughs> no one's gonna notice. Uh, oh yeah, put him in predator. Put him in the the L.A. landscape of Predator Two. Fuck it. <laughs> 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 I can just see like that thermal outlook of Kevin, whatever, and the predator turning its back, and the all it is for the whole play is just trap set up for the predator. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I know. It is. Kevin just screaming, fucks with his sensors to the point where he has to take his helmet off. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> He points the lasers at Kevin's face, and Kevin puts his hands to him. Oh! <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I actually kind of like the third one too, even though they go back to the roots of the first one. But what are you gonna do? They're having a whole new kid. Um, but I mean, how are you going to pull this off one more time with Kevin? But also, Macaulay just wanted to walk away, and I think they offered him a huge opportunity, like financially, to do a third one. It's just like he just didn't want to do it anymore. Oh, I don't mean you can't blame him. I mean, shoot, especially because you know he was he was just rolling the ball. He did uh, what uh, the Good Son. He was doing Richie Rich. There was another one I think. That he did getting as well. even with Dad, which I've never been able to watch. I cannot get through it. It's so bad. Oh, the one with Ted Danson. Yeah, I just and maybe I was the wrong yeah, age, but man, I've tried like three or four times since it's come out, and I just can't get through it. Yeah, no, I mean that's gonna be a tough one. If we have to watch that one, it'll be. Uh, no, we're you know, skipping. Also, it. I don't even have it in my catalog. Okay, good. That's how I get out of it. All right, what is our third film? Oh, there's one more thing I'm going to say about Home Alone 2. Tim Curry. Oh, yeah. As the the snooty hotel manager. Oh, God. (laughs) Just the way he would, just uh, his his language, the way he would pronounce things, like, student credit card, or, (laughs) and there's a liver outside here with a pizza justice you requested. (laughs) I, (laughs) I forget that Rob Schneider did a ton of movies in smaller roles as he was building his career through SNL. I, I keep forgetting this. Oh, yeah. Oh, makes sense. And, of course, if it took place in New York, I think it would be a lot easier for him to film. Right. And I think after this, he does Surf Ninjas and Demolition Man. It's just a slow build-up. The same thing for Spade, because I think we're going to get close mm. to David Spade's uh, real debut. Yes, he's in Police Academy 4, but then he disappeared for like five years, and then he shows up in uh, Coneheads. You're I gotta right. get Coneheads because we I don't have that in my catalog and we gotta discuss that one. Oh, absolutely. Alright, what's the next one? It's a long... I know it's on HBO Max. Oh, okay. I just need to get HBO Max. I'm gonna steal your password. Give it to me, homie. No. <laughs> hey, homie. I don't know the password. My dad does. <laughs> alright, alright, alright. Yeah. Okay, next movie. Um, oh, God. Dick's Town. 
Dickstown is my favorite gay porno. I just want to let you know. Uh, I don't know what you watched. Oh, was it Dickstown? I wrote it down wrong. Shit. Yeah. No, sorry, Michael. I can't. <laughs> I, I the only man I will say I will have any kind of homosexual tendency towards you is Oscar Isaac, but that's it. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite boxing movie, and I think it's also because I love con artist movies. I love con artist movies. And, yeah, it doesn't have the best boxing not like rocky does or well, fucking creed come on creed's the best boxing movie i think oh, you know God, when yes. it comes to filming the fights but what did you think of this oh no i absolutely loved it it was it was really awesome yeah i mean uh lewis gossett jr i can't help but have a real soft spot for you know considering like every single supporting role that he's ever played you know he just really does give it his all and to see him as kind of like that coming out of retirement you know one, one more shot at glory that he deserved, you know, as his character uh, has been known for. Uh, yeah, no, I couldn't help but love that aspect. And then James Woods, you know, and Oliver Platt, you know, having been scheming this, like, you know, what is he, the mayor of the town? Yeah, he, well, he's Bruce just Stern. a rich guy who basically owns the town. He, uh, he created this whole thing where he, he owns the police, he owns the mayor, he owns right uh and then he yeah. basically he set up a situation years ago with a boxer who he drugged and ended up getting brain damage but because of that he and everybody thought he was gonna win and he stole the town basically because everybody was in debt to him and this is one brutal fuck it's a comedy it's a sports comedy but there's this under darkness that it's all his responsibility or all his doing or whatever and when he gets what's coming to him, God, it's so fucking sweet. <laughs> oh, absolutely. God, yes. Oh, man. There was one, I, I think in the plot of the movie, yeah, it, it shows, they find out how much he actually has. Uh, Bruce Stern's character, they, uh, James Woods, like, does some digging and finds out how much he has. He doesn't even have a million dollars. Like, he's broke. Like, he's he himself is a con man. Yeah. And they're trying to con the con man. Yeah, it's uh, it's really great, great performances by James Woods. This is basically the last chance for everybody as a, as a above the title kind of name because uh, James Woods just had too many bombs and he would move over to being a support. I really don't know what happened to Luke Gossett Jr. after this. It was mostly directed video stuff. This is the last time that he's in a studio film. Uh, Heather Graham, uh, this is that weird part where she wasn't really acting very much. She had done License to Drive in 88, Shout 91, which right. is which was a huge flop and this this they promoted the hell out of this movie and it made like two million dollars it was such a bummer but when i saw it on video i was like how is this a bomb and it's just if you look at it on paper everybody involved is you know they're past their prime bruce stern hadn't been a lead in forever and the only thing that really got this made is a it was dirt cheap because it's basically all in one location uh and two michael ritchie mike if you don't know michael ritchie uh, for you know you Jacob uh, Fletch those two Fletch movies are probably his big thing in, in Bad News Bears yes that makes all the gosh no wonder why his name sound familiar yeah I think this might be his last great movie because after this I believe he does Cops and Robertsons and the Fantastics and that's it his career is over with damn yeah um, but yeah it's a really great boxing movie a hell of a performance by Oliver Platt this is kind of when he's breaking out and, uh, oh, uh, baby Jim Caviezel getting his ass kicked. Racist oh, Jim Caviezel. <laughs> yes, I noticed that. I, he was one of the boxers, and Bruce Stern's son was played by, um, 
Oh god, he was one of the kids from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Okay, he that's was... what I was wondering. I knew him from the kid from Silverado. He's the little boy. Um, but I was wondering that if too. he was also in uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, no, that was definitely him. And then, oh gosh, one of the boxers that Louis Gossett beat, the one whose brother was hung. Yeah, uh, that's, the, that's the hardest part to take. Yeah, you see him all the time, though. He was in so many movies during that era. Well, that's right. He was in a summer school. He was the one who was <laughs> in the bathroom the, the whole movie. <laughs> and he got a 91 out of 100 on the freaking test. He was sitting there. I remember him sitting there waiting, just waiting for everybody else uh, to finish. The time yeah. to be over. <laughs> uh, in Beetlejuice, he's one of the football players that dies. Uh, he's in Under yes. Siege. Uh, by the way, I watched Under Siege for the action segment I'm doing with someone else. That movie fucking blows. That is not a good movie. I don't know why it was such a big hit. Ugh. All right, Isn't that the one with uh, Steven Seagal? Yeah, it's shit, man. Oh, it's Tommy just... Jones? Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, no. I know which one you're talking about. Okay, that's total. Yeah, it's it's typical action movie. Yeah, it's only Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey's crazy performance that even makes it even remotely watchable. Uh, what is our next film? Okay, next film. Let's see. Oh, my gosh. Hold on, I'm blanking now. Avenger right? the Nerds 3! Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay, yes, that's one of them. Okay, yes, so... Avenger the Nerds 3. I was on the wire about suggesting this for you because I wasn't sure if it was nostalgia blinding me. <clears throat> but as, even though it's a TV movie and it's much lower budget than the second one, I still think it's a oh. legitimately good movie. Yeah, surprisingly, because I remember seeing it when I was a little kid and, you know, Fox having the rights, they made it a straight-to-TV kind of movie. And you can tell that in some of the budget. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, I still could enjoy it. There were quite a few familiar faces there, like especially with the one who played Malcolm Pennington, like who was the, who was the Trilam uh, uh, fraternity leader. Oh, yeah, you know him years later. You know him because he was in Frighteners. He's the, the hip 70s disco guy. He was on Boston Public for years. He's in Gone in 60 Seconds. Chai McBride is one of those guys. That just for a decade there got all the support character role kind of stuff. Yes, I know. Yeah, that's exactly who it is. Yeah, I couldn't, again, I was like, I had to look up on IMDb like who he was after I saw his face. I'm like, wait a minute. Why this movie <laughs> matters? Yes, it's basically regurgitating a lot of what happened in the first movie with the characters and the buildup. But what it is, is not accepting the change that has happened to the city and that people, and it's, it's, it's so relevant today because people don't want to evolve in any way whatsoever. They're kicking, fighting, dragging their feet, and they'll do so much damage uh, to undo it. And that's a lot about what this movie's about. But it's also about the fact that Lewis cannot deal with the fact that he is a nerd and he's hiding it. He's ashamed of it. And his nephew is so proud of him for what they've done to that campus, and yet is let down because Lewis doesn't want them to be who they are. They want them to change to fit in, and, and that's a lot of it is really universal. And I was kind of surprised the movie had these themes. Yeah, no, especially like a character like Lewis. You know, I mean, you thought he would have been a nerd forever, and yeah. I had to find out like that there was some a backdrop. He and Gilbert had a falling out, and they were best friends. It's like what? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Gilbert, when you see the Gilbert in this movie, not Anthony Edwards, they didn't want to pony up or he didn't want to do it. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, like, it's rough. What? Yeah, also the same thing with uh, Wormser. Uh, that's a different actor. And you're like, oh, that's not what I expected at all. 
Yeah, Sean Whalen was the one who played Worms. Yeah. I, I don't mind. I like seeing Sean Whalen ever since uh, people under the stairs. Yeah. Um, Lamar hmm. comes back. Mr. Skolnick comes back. So we have and Brian uh, Takahashi comes back. And but Brian what, Toshi. And what I really liked was because you know they skipped Takashi in the second movie. Um, who is it? I can't remember. Uh, uh, he's in the first two movies. He has the crazy red hair. He became like a serious actor later. Damn it. Poindexter. Poindexter doesn't show up. Um, yeah, that was a surprise. But you see young Grant Heslop, who became uh, uh, George Clooney's producing partner and sometimes director. Uh, Booger does show up in this about halfway through the movie, and I love the fact that he's like, you guys don't do shit! <laughs> this is college! <laughs> yeah. Yes, and what's his name? Uh, one of the... Uh... Chapter presidents. Uh, he's played by Henry Cho, uh, Steve Toyota. <laughs> oh no, that, yeah, like, yeah. He has uh, that Elvis persona. And uh, oh, UN. I forgot. Yeah, Bernie Casey comes back. Um, but I thought Betty, who was ditched in the second film, I think she's really good. It's played by Julie Montgomery, and uh, I'm, I'm glad they brought her back to the franchise. But I will tell you this: as good as three is, four is fucking garbage. That I've never been able to watch. I cannot get through part four. <laughs> oh yeah, booger in love. Yeah, yeah. For the concept of booger getting married, I'm like booger of all people. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, it was cool to see booger come back in this one and like you know get the party going. And I like how he and Toyota, who's the the one with the, the one with the uh, Elvis persona. Yeah, right. Funny joke about that. He loves. It's like he's like I'm. It's like I'm. As I'm originally from Korea. It's like you're from Korea. What's in your accent? South Korea. <laughs> uh, yeah and booger thank goodness they were more realistic like yeah technically he's a lawyer but he's not a good lawyer <laughs> he's a personal injury attorney he's an yeah he's chaser. an ambulance chaser um but <laughs> but also i want to say that they were they gave some uh they gave uh ted mcginley you know uh playing stan gable some redemption which they could have played it all over again the same way but he really struggles with who he is now in this movie and it, Absolutely. It's, his his parallels what Lewis is, except it's the opposite direction. Exactly. Like I mean, at the beginning, he sees he's a cop, and then he pulls over. Um, he, he pulls over Harold, Greg Binkley. Um, he pulls them over for like no reason, just because they're nerds. And he and oh, I love how they give him shit. <laughs> I love how they like kind of throw it back in his face, and he has no choice but to let them go. Yeah. Uh, in this, we have also Tim Conlon, who was those one of those almost guys. He uh, Fox really liked him after this movie, and they wanted to make him a star, and they cast him as one of the leads in Mad TV for the pilot episode. Um, oh, wow. And then they uh, said, you're more suited for this other show called uh, Wild Oats, which was Paul Rudd's first TV show, but only lasted 13 episodes. And after that, I have no idea what happened to him. Damn. Yeah, just one of yeah. those guys that almost got, got to be a star, and it just didn't happen for whatever reason. Yeah, and then, of course, Morton Downey Jr. Oh, God, I wanted to punch him in the face every time I saw oh, him. Oh, God, his face. Oh, it's like a bag of... It's, if Jabba the Hutt was a person. Pretty much. And then John Panay, uh, who played the British guy. Even though yeah, he's not he was on three things all at once for Fox. He was in this. He was on the last season of Parker Lewis Can't Lose. And then he was on some show, I can't remember the name of it, but they would get in samurai suits and wrestle each other. Look, TV back in the day for Fox on the weekends was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's when Fox just really had more of an imagination. Yeah, well, and also they're just like throwing shit at the wall, see what's stuck. Exactly. <laughs> 
but yeah, no, I mean, it was, I mean, this one I think did hold up and it did have a good ending. And yeah, as you said, you know, Gable, you know, Ted McGinley's character did redeem himself. He realized, like, fuck, man, look how much they stick by each other. Even yeah, and he was thing. tired of being a loser. It's just, if he, it just bothered to advance himself in any way whatsoever, except people who were different. <laughs> and now they would call that woke. But I'm telling you right now, woke is just a modern term for anybody who wants representation who is being denied. People who are mad about the word woke, how about this? 30 years ago, it was uh, women's lib. Everybody was mad about women's lib. Uh, 40 years ago, or 50 years ago, it was civil rights. Before that, it was uh, 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 Emancipation Proclamation. Before that, it was the Declaration of Independence. It was about people not being represented properly, whether it's pop culture, in government, in rights, in any way whatsoever. So if you take that back and think about the Declaration of Independence, maybe you won't be so goddamn mad about woke just because someone tells you to. Exactly, and it's not it's not being forced uh, down their throat about you know someone telling you to be like woke. Just it's like goddamn, just don't be a dick. Yeah. I, 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 I can't find anybody who can explain woke without looking sheepish because they know they're an asshole. Man. Exactly. It's just it's just them like wanting to justify themselves being assholes. Yeah, you and I got a representation for a century of pop culture. Uh, it's time for someone else to get something, okay? <laughs> Precisely. But I, it's when it comes to Star Wars fans, oh no, dude. It's a Jesus. brick wall. That fucking, yeah. <laughs> you guys had Princess Leia. Yeah, they put her in a slave outfit. <laughs> and she and was it, only one woman out of all these other women. Right. <laughs> Sometimes, though, I think there was this weird subconscious thing where she uh, strangled Jabba the Hutt with that, that, that cord or whatever. I was like, you're not going to make me your slave. I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I know. I did. I love that part. That was good. All right. I'm running out of battery power. I didn't realize. Uh, what uh, is the next movie that we got to discuss? Okay, last movie. Okay, we've already discussed four, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. Last one was Chaplin. Oh my god, dude. This was like so beautifully done and a good insight as to Chaplin's life. Robert Downey Jr. Fuck. Right? One hell of a performance. My god, this is this is his well, he had just done what Air America and Soap Dish. Fluffy, silly kind of throwaway movie. I mean, there's a bit of social subtext in uh, uh, Air America, but this one just knocks it out of the fucking park. Didn't he get a nominated for an Academy Award for this? I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Yeah, and it just, it, it just never got for him for so long because this didn't do well financially. It was very expensive. Uh, Heart and Souls the next year didn't do well. Only You. And then after that, his career just kind of just fell apart. And... Man, Shoot, he was going through a lot. Yeah, he really just becomes Chaplin. I don't feel like he's doing an imitation. He becomes Charlie. Oh, you see that in everything, like from like when he's giving that little performance. Uh, no, he's giving up that little explanation when his brother uh, was explaining to him about doing talking movies, and then Chaplin's like, "No, if the tramp talks, his character is dead. Like he has nothing." Yeah. Well, if you look at his IMDb, I really thought that he continued. Like, for some reason, I thought, like, in the 50s and 60s, the next generation discovered him and he started playing support roles. It only happened once. He would disappear for a very long time between projects, and, and it's because everything was changing. It was moving beyond what he could do with the medium or what he wanted to do with the medium. And that ate up all of those guys. Did, have you ever actually seen any of his stuff? 
Yes, I have. I remember seeing some for film study, and then there were some that were on uh, Turner Classic Movies. Yeah, I've never seen one. I've never seen any Buster Keaton. I've never seen Laurel Hardy. I've seen a little bit of Stooges. That's it. All those, the Bowery Boys, you know, uh, uh, Adam Costello, nothing. And I feel like I need to go exploring. Ab absolutely, I know. Yeah, there's like so many. There's like a one a great variety and library of Chaplin films. Yeah, and, and this is just everybody showed up for this. Because not only is Robert Downey Jr. a cherished actor, even then by other, he was like an actor's actor. Uh, Richard Attenborough, I think this is his final film, who had previously, I think, done Gandhi. Amelia passes to India, but he was a guy notorious for getting the greatest actors to show up and do these big epic films. I want to see A Bridge Too Far because he got like everybody to show up. Um, wow. But he was an actor. He was one of them because I just watched The Sand Pebbles and he was really great in that. He's in Flight of the Phoenix. But uh, who do we have? Everybody, I think. We even have. Uh, uh, we have in Chief, We even have Charlie Chaplin's daughter playing her own grandmother. Yes, Geraldine. She played her grandmother. Yes. What a oh, heartbreaking gosh. meltdown that is when she cannot stop with the food. That just uh, so. Exactly, and as far as like how mental health was treated back then, like again, like especially what, like what, late eighteen hundreds? Yeah. Coming into the. They just shave your head and throw you in a fucking bin, basically. They don't give a shit about you. You're just a nuisance. Exactly, and it's like her and like her condition not improved at all. It's like, what did they actually do to treat her? They just kept her in a house. Yeah. And, and, and in a cell, practically. The wraparound part is after his fame is basically over with, and he's being interviewed by Anthony Hopkins, and is just kind of bouncing through time. I thought it was a very interesting way to do it because they took two different books uh, to get the whole story, so it, it helped guide the storyline. Yes. Oh, I love that one part where he's like, say, where he's talking about how he had the bowler hat and the cane when he first started doing films and it's like it just spoke to me and it was glowing he's like come on Chaplin you know that's bullshit okay fine but this was more interesting <laughs> <laughs> I love that I love that one particular sequence when they're um, they're hiding and they're editing films in like uh, these little hotels and stuff like that I loved how it was filmed and sequenced like an actual Chaplin film yeah it, it did it did it, did, it really enriched the scene and kind of gave it gave you yeah. that uh, I mean this this feel. movie is magic it's just magic and and the, yes carol cole uh, was a company that spent too much money and rarely ever made its money back and, but honestly would you rather be a company that lasted 15 years making these big epic movies whether they succeeded or failed is beyond the point everybody remembers your company they remember the movies or do you want to play some low level safe stuff that no one fucking remembers well i know and honestly especially the score is what helps make oh, this movie so yeah. memorable. My mother, this is my mother's like favorite movie score. Oh, honestly. really? Wow. Who did the score? James Newton Howe or whatever his name is? I don't know who did the music. I believe so. Let me check. I'll check it real quick. While but you're I doing that, I'm going to I'm going to go through this cast. Dan Aykroyd. This is when he was doing more dramatic stuff because the comedic stuff wasn't working. Um, yes. So he had done uh, 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 Driving Miss Daisy changed his career because he started doing dramatic stuff and got a lot of acclaim for that. So he did this and Sneakers um, and I, there's a couple of, uh, my girl I still think is somewhat more serious role and sadly would eventually go back to comedy and that's when it started flubbing like crazy uh, Penelope Ann Miller Mariah Kelly um, Marissa Tomei yeah. Mila Jovovich Maria Patillo good lord the women the women alone <laughs> <laughs> Diane Lane 
Yes. Nancy Travis. Uh, we also have oh, James. Yeah, uh, Nancy Travis. That was a horrifying story. The the true story behind what happened to her. Yeah, no, her her the character, the actress she was playing. Oh my god, yeah. It was just a one night thing with Chaplin, and she was just extremely obsessive and manipulative and lying. It's like, oh my god, she was a bit of nar- almost narcissistic and sociopathic. Yeah. Um, and then the, oh, the company. Fuck, I forgot the company. This is kind of his. The company, yes, yeah. the editor. Where is the score? This cast is so big. It's like John big. Barry, I think. John Barry. Okay, so the guy who did all the Bond movies back in the day. Yes, it was such a beautiful score. And one thing I do want to mention regarding Mila Jovovich, that's the thing about Chaplin that's getting me. It's like, dude, that's grooming. That's uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but back then it was so normal. You know, it's just uh, yeah. Uh, hold on, I gotta do a chunk impression. And then I jumped it over the side, and I made a noise like this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you get the idea. <laughs> I, I wonder when uh, John Barry stopped doing scores, and it looks like the last one he did was 2001, a British film called Enigma. Uh, the last one that we probably even knew of. Shit. Mercury oh, wow. Rising with Bruce Willis? That's the last oh, thing I know. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, I remember that one, Mercury Rising, where he has to... Where the autistic kid like right, um, right. has like access to a secret code and he's protecting him. Right, yeah, that I, I, that might come up in the show later. Um, so that oh. is basically it. So you're gonna we're gonna say goodbye, but you're going to get the old episode we did from. This is a weird episode because Ooh. it started off as trash cinema, and then we realized we both love the movies, and we turned into just a regular video night. So it's a weird episode, but I wanted to I wanted to bring it out there because it's you and I uh, back in the day. Right. There are two things I wanted to mention more about uh, Chaplin. One, Kevin Dunn as J. Edgar Hoover. Holy it's like, shit. You know, yeah. Knowing who J. Edgar Hoover is, fucking fascist. I'm glad he's dead. He's one of those people where I'm glad he's dead. Yeah, what an <laughs> asshole, man. He was really just Seriously. digging and digging and digging trying to destroy Chaplin. And all because Chaplin was like pro-worker. And I love that one dinner scene when there's that one Nazi um, fucking filmmaker coming in, talking and praising the Fuhrer, and everybody's around him just like kind of absorbing in, like, ooh, how wonderful. Seems so good over there, how you guys are coming back. And then, of course, Chaplin's not having any of it. Oh, yeah. fuck no. Well, that was a big thing, because what destroyed his career, not only was J. Edgar Hoover hunting his ass down, but it was also that, the, uh, the, the dictator movie that he made, um, because there was... German sympathy. That's the thing people forget. There was a lot of famous people who sympathized with the Germans, and they were kind of on their side until they, uh, Japan blew up Pearl Harbor, and then that's when we got involved, and all of a sudden it switched. But there's a lot of people. Uh, uh, Lindbergh. Charles Lindbergh was a Nazi supporter. So don't be surprised this shit happens now with famous people, because it's always been this way. Oh, Chaplin wasn't... Uh, the thing is, Chaplin, though, he was... He fucking uh, knew, great- because, yeah, I mean, you see shit, you call it out. Don't be afraid. You don't have to, I mean, look, I yeah. don't know, it's, it's fucking shitty they destroyed his career, and, and those guys destroyed a lot of fucking careers during the Red Scare, too, so. Oh, McCarthy, oh, the McCarthy sequence where yeah. they're just watching the interviews, I'm just like, oh, God, another guy, I'm glad is dead. Yep. <laughs> All right, so we gotta go. I apologize, I am almost out of power, so I won't be able to save this, so. Uh, no. Jacob, uh, <laughs> send us out. All right, namaste, guys, enjoy the bonus content. And uh, be excellent to each other, everybody. And party on, dudes! <laughs> I redlined on that one. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> we are going to be stay tuned and mom and dad save the world.
<laughs> I grew up watching these. I love them so much. God. Okay. Um, of the two, which do you prefer? Um, I'd have to probably go with Mom and Dad Save the World. Yeah. All right. So we'll start off with that one. Mom and Dad Save the World. Uh, this... No, just... What's that? Don't get me wrong. No disrespect to uh, Stay Tuned. I love John Ritter, and I love, I, you know, it's very entertaining to watch going through all the different TV channels, you know, you know, pretty much going through what our generation, like, you know, grew up watching. Yeah. You know, when MTV was actually MTV. Oh, my God. Those days are long gone. <laughs> and, of course, all the, oh, of course, and, of course, all the little movie parodies, like, you know, driving, like, instead of driving with Davey, it's driving over Miss Daisy. <laughs> okay, so we're starting with Stay Tuned. <laughs> Let's, uh, sorry, folks, uh, stay tuned. Uh, basically, it is uh, John Ritter and Pam Dauber. I thought it was very cool that they actually cast two TV stars to start a movie about television instead of, like, marquee names. Exactly. No, that makes so much sense. And there is a, there's a point in their life where they're basically not communicating with each other. She, uh, uh, John Ritter just basically sits on the couch all day long. I think he lost his job. I missed that part. I think he lost his job. No, and basically no, he, he just... no, he does have a job. It's just a very boring job. You know, I think there's like he's like on the council of like uh, regarding plumbing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So basically, he just when he's home, he doesn't talk. He doesn't do anything. He just watches TV all the time. He, you know, it just every moment he fills with television, and it's getting to the point where uh, his wife is sick and tired of it. She basically says, "You gotta stop, or um, I gotta leave." Because you're no longer being a husband, you're being just a couch potato. And just as he's getting better, all of a sudden Jeffrey Jones shows up with a contract for the most amazing satellite dish you can ever believe with thousands and thousands of different channels. Yeah, no, this is, of course, after she smashes the TV. Oh, that's right, yes. Uh, so he gets. Plus, go ahead. Well, being a lousy plumbing salesman, I mean, what can you do? <laughs> so basically, he signs a contract. Uh, he gets a satellite dish. They get in an argument over it, and uh, they get sucked into the satellite dish. And basically, they end up in a weird. Uh, it's like UHF. You've seen UHF, correct? Weird Al. Yes, it is. It's it, just game shows from hell. Game shows and TV shows and movies from hell. It's like UHF if it was uh, obsessed with Satan. Like instead of uh, uh, Weird Al is Anton Lafay, uh, <laughs> the head of the Satan Church. Exactly. <laughs> All six hundred and sixty-six channels worth. Oh, Come on. Right. Why did I say How thousands? How could you have not uh, seen that? Yeah. Um, so the, the parodies, I'm trying to remember. I literally watched this movie this morning and I can't seem to remember some of the parodies. Uh, there was Dwayne's Underworld. Oh God. Yeah. That was, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I they mean, must've, they must've shot that just as the movie was wrapping up because Wayne's World came out like six months before Stay Tuned. So they must've rushed that one in. Yeah, I know. And plus, you know, it was such a huge thing. They think teens would want to see it. And also... What else? Oh gosh, what else did they go? Driving over Miss Daisy, where you know the objective of the movie was to kill Miss Daisy by running her over. There's the video game, or not the video game, the That's... game show. Oh yeah. Where if they get the questions wrong, they get dumped into hell. Uh, oh yeah, no, really pit of you know fire and lava. The salt and pepper. The, the salt and pepper scene went on way too long. That was like that was a full music video. You could tell that they were just paid to promote that. You're like, why is this still going? Why is this a thing? Exactly. Not, yeah, that, and also, you know, the characters they portrayed, too. Uh, Jeffrey Jones was, of course, clearly Vanilla Ice. And yeah, yeah, yeah. John Ritter was Prince. Which is hilarious. Him wearing that costume. I actually forgot that Prince looked like that for a while. He wasn't Prince. He was that symbol, which was the artist formerly known as Prince. Artist I always, known as I've always thought that Prince was fucking with us by doing that. I was like, uh, we're, your name is just longer now. 
It's, it's not a symbol. Nobody's right. going the symbol. There's different strokes. Oh, God, I mean, those two old people are in the retirement home, oh, and they yeah, both yeah, yeah. have different effects from just having a stroke. I can't see. Oh. I can't feel. It's <sighs> really morbid. It's a dark, dark comedy. My favorite part of the movie, and I think it's probably everybody's favorite part of the movie, is the six minutes of cartoon that Chuck Jones, legendary Chuck Jones, animated. That was so wonderful to watch. Oh, God, yes. The one at the beginning, RoboCat? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, and then there was also Northern Overexposure. No. Autopsies, autopsies of the Rich and Famous. My Three Sons of Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> or Three Men and Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh, just uh, how can you not laugh at any of those parodies? Come on! All right, so Tim oh. Burton was supposed to direct this, but left because his contract obligation required him to go shoot Batman Returns. I get the feeling right. this movie would have been a lot different. The the tone would have been more, uh, would have been more inventive. Uh, the, the visual would have been stronger. I think. So. Here's the thing: is I will say this: Peter Hyams was the director, and I don't understand why he was chosen. It must have been one of those like. Who are the only people qualified to actually do this quickly? Who do we got? Uh, Peter Hyams isn't doing anything right now. Fuck it, get him. Because Peter Hyams doesn't do comedies. He, he's only ever done Running Scared, which was an action comedy. So I don't understand how right. he ended up in a black comedy farce like this. Uh, but yeah, it, looks, it looks wonderful. The people he chose to shoot the movie with him, they look exactly like they should. Oh, indeed. Oh, and plus, Eugene Levy, even though his, his presence oh, yeah. was just absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Very funny guy. I thought it was a wonderful performance by him. I know. It's like every time you see him, you just can't help but laugh and cheer him on. He has that presence. Also, yeah, you know, it was pretty funny when uh, near the end of the movie, when he's flipping through all the channels, like through Star Trek and all that. Yeah. And then he Ooh. arrives in the living room. <laughs> Where have you been? And he's back at Three's company. Oh, my God. Goes... That was great. <laughs> um, so I, I will say this. The one part of the movie I could not stand was uh, – his kids the boy isn't too bad but that girl is fucking terrible she is so hard to watch most of the time her face makes it look like she has some sort of brain damage <laughs> well i wouldn't go that far i mean it's pretty bad but damn michael i she, thought i was no no this, this is her face <laughs> uh, people on the podcast can't see it but jacob this is her face basically half the time the kids always like hey mom and dad are on the tv we've got to do something now and she's like what what is that yeah, on the tv well, at least it was more expressive than Kristen Stewart. Huh? <laughs> I mean, that, if it's not that face, it's this face. You're stuffed. What are you doing? Oh, my God. Uh, she had severe... Your typical cheerleader, stereotypical valley girl kind of... I guess, character. but I didn't give a fuck. She was annoying. Uh, she uh, had a lot of plastic surgery. I saw her on IMDb. She changed. She, she took her nose down, changed her chin. And uh, I think she oh, was wow. married to... Uh, what's the kid from Dawson's Creek? The one who basically... Uh, James Vanderbeek. James Vanderbeek, yes. I think she was married to James Vanderbeek for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's whack. That's crazy. That's just crazy. That's crazy whack, y'all. Um, oh, indeed. Oh, there is a joke in there that is so um, of the moment. It's a Dukes of Hazard joke where it's David Dukes of Hazard. Do you know who David Dukes is? David Dukes. Do tell. Uh, 92. He was running for president. As he was in his little run, you know, going around the country, talking to people, it was discovered that he was a member of the KKK. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And instantly, yeah. just within like 24 hours, he's like, ah, oh, fuck it, I quit. Uh, I'm no longer ready for president. Sorry. We're like, good. I know. 
Well, okay, eventually Ted Cruz is going to have to do the same thing because, you know, he's not an American citizen. He wasn't born in America. Oh, he was born hey, in what about Donald Trump? Donald Trump is number one in uh, the ratings or whatever for running for Republican Party. This man filed for bankruptcy, I think, actually twice. Five times. Five? Bankrupted five Are companies. you fucking kidding me? He filed for exactly. all. Wow. He bankrupted five of his fucking companies. He's still outsourcing to China, and he's bashing oh. China, their business methods and whatnot. And he and wants to run the country? He also said that if his daughter wasn't his daughter, that he would probably date her. Oh, God. What if, this is a president who wants... What? I was like, how would it... I, I, honestly, this just shows how the Republicans still don't have a strong candidate. Oh, my God. You're willing to fuck your own daughter and bankrupt this country? Please, no. I, I Right now, Sarah Palin looks reasonable. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I don't even want to go uh, there. I mean, if Fox dumped her show, what the hell does that tell you? I didn't know Fox. I gave her a show. That was dumb. All right. So, yeah. back to the movie. I apologize. Um, so, uh, stay tuned. Uh, it did better than how... Uh, I almost said How I Met Your Brother. Uh, Mom and Dad Save the World. It was released um, still in a decent part of summer august 14th it was released by warner brothers with a decent amount i've never seen a lot of commercials for it it just didn't open that well it ended with 10 million dollars so uh it didn't make its money back but it still did well enough on video that that's why people know what it is exactly and on and on uh you know cable tv like hbo yeah no, plus i think it, it, it to me it's a classic i grew up watching it i loved it can't get it couldn't get enough of it now the next one I did not discover. See, I saw "Stay Tuned" when it hit when it hit video. Um, this next one I actually waited a very I almost waited a decade or more to see this. I saw it on HBO around two thousand three, two thousand and four, uh, and oh wow, yeah, I, did, I when it came out I just didn't care. The trailer was a it was a terrible trailer. They didn't try to sell this movie at all. Uh, it was Warner Brothers, but it was actually an HBO film, and I think Warner Brothers purposely sabotaged it because. It was so similar to Stay Tuned. You know, it has the same setup where it's a, a, a married couple that are in their, you know, they're in their forties. They have kids. They're at that point where they're kind of bored. Same kind of situation. Yeah, yeah they're, they're kind of bored. Marriage, they feel like their marriage is kind of falling apart. Yeah, and, and it also stars uh, Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, Jeffrey Jones, and it's taken out of its normal element, and basically they got to learn how to be heroes together. Oh, I forgot. There's one thing I want to say. Uh, stay tuned. Pam Dauber was pregnant for that whole movie. If you watch the train scene, they had to shoot it from a certain angle because uh, her belly was quite big at the time. They had to keep the yeah, camera it right to in front. Yeah. yeah, it did show a little. I didn't notice in one little glimpse, but yeah, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. crazy. And she was also and she started Mork and Mindy. That's yeah. where everybody knew her from. Uh, my sister Sam. Yeah, one also, day we're gonna talk about my sister Sam. That's one of the most tragic stories I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you later. Um, all right, yeah. so also, so the plot of this it's like the married couple going to save the planet. Full of idiots. That's the, oh, the that's dumbest also what, people. That's this movie is so funny. It's so fucking funny. Stay tuned is a, a ride. It's a amusing ride. You laugh here and there, but mom and dad say the world. I almost laughed the entire fucking movie, and I've seen this movie like ten times already. I still laugh my ass. I off know. <laughs> like every like I know. I even showed this to my friend Molly. I think a couple years ago. It was her first time watching it. Yeah. She oh god, she laughed every scene, especially with John Lovitz. I mean, oh, John god, Lovitz. Oh god, he's course, so funny. John Lovitz is one of those you love him or you hate him, and I don't understand why people. I think people hate him because of who he is. Now, John Lovitz is a very, very complicated comedian. He commits so much to his characters that uh, he kind of loses himself in the role. But I think the problem that people have with him is that he is a grown ass man, but he has the mindset, even it seems like in real life, of an eight year old. 
I always thought it was effeminate, but I was wrong. It's more like he is a child who never really grew up. Right, although although Tom Hanks said that Don Lovitz was his favorite Saturday Night Live uh, performer. I think he's a lot of people's favorite Saturday Night Live performers. He amuses me to no end, even though I've heard that he's severely insecure and that he had basically burned his bridges with Kevin Smith because of some screw-up financial thing. Damn. Yeah, he he fucked him over. You know their podcast, Hollywood Babylon. Uh, oh yeah. Basically, he said uh, uh, all these like he flipped on the contract. He gave them this huge contract, whatever, to do the show there, and then uh, he decided to screw them because he wanted more money. And it's a long. You have to listen to it. I'll give you a clip later. It's so complicated. It makes him look like a complete asshole. But as an actor, he's insane. This is his pinnacle performance right here. I think he is so fucking good in this. He is so insanely insecure, but yet somehow smarter than everybody else on the planet. So that is how he became the ruler of this uh, world. He is basically, this is basically Flash Gordon in Wizard of Oz kind of world. And it's spoofed. It's, it's if uh, Ming the Merciless was a douchebag. You know, a wimpy douchebag who is very conniving, uh, but at the same time has no real power. <laughs> But at the same time, he's a total, complete moron. <laughs> yeah, I, the things his dialogue is insane. There's a scene where he is kissing Terry Gar, um, and he goes to kiss her. He's like, he's just like licking her lips, or whatever. And then he goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I laugh know. so Honestly, fucking hard. I know. And then also uh, that one scene at the end where they're doing the whole stat- Trojan statue of Todd thing. He's like, yeah. Can't you see? This is a trick. I don't have that much fat around my face. Huh? Well, all right, bring it in, bring it in. Let's show how it doesn't look like me. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I do not have this much fat around my face, do I? <laughs> I know. I, I think the actual smartest person on that planet is his right-hand man, Afir. Oh, he is awesome. Uh, General Affer, uh, played by Thomas uh, Rasulala. Uh, I yeah. absolutely love his character. He is. Um, he works for John Lovitz's character, uh, Todd Spango. Yeah, he's terrible. By the way, Todd Spango, worst emperor name ever. Um, but he, he works for him, but he doesn't give a shit about him. And when he sees the chance that you can, he actually do something right for the world, he does. He's a really great character. And this is his final role. He died during a post-production. Sadly, yes. Yeah, but it's a good role to go out on. I really enjoyed that. Indeed. All right. So well, guys, I mean, uh, even the, uh, even, uh, Eric Idle's character who's King Raph, he's, yeah. he's in the dungeon when Jeffrey, you know, Jeffrey Jones gets locked up. <laughs> I love, he, Eric Idle. I love Eric Idle. He's legendary, of course. How could you not love him from Monty Python? He says he's the smartest plant person on that planet, but he's an idiot himself. He even he, says he's like, now, please. They know they're stupid. Like, That's please. the weirdest thing is that the stupid people know they're stupid. I know. He's like, please, let me know when I stop. Um, this... Then he pauses for like 30 seconds. He's like, yeah, you stopped. Yeah, so this is a parody of, like I said, uh, uh, Flash Gorn for the most part, but there's little bits and pieces of the majesty of uh, Wizard of Oz thrown in. But the special effects are so astounding. They capture the feel of those old cheesy serials to the T, but at the same time still being uh, of, the, of 1992. Those, those little jumping mushrooms are amazing to look at. They look so cute, and they turn out to be vicious monsters. The, yeah, I know. And then later on, when he's like, you know, greeted by the, you know the um, by the little warrior tribes. Yeah, he's just they they end up serving it to him like you know covered in grease and lard. I'm mm. like, oh god, I don't think I could ever eat one of those things. Oh no, hey, there's a sequence where um, they're showing it. There's like a bunch of them running down the hallway after him after uh, Jeffrey oh, yeah. Jones, 
If yes, you, if oh you, God. If you look closely at the floor, on the right-hand side, the very last mushroom that's jumping up and down, you can see the pole that it's on being pushed up from the floor over and over and over oh. and over. <laughs> Crazy. It's like, well, that's a little obvious, but it's a good effect. It's a really smart effect. Yeah. Uh, Tony Gardner, he's kind of underrated. He's one of those special effects guys that did a lot of really great work. He didn't really go for realistic. He went for stylized. The stuff that he would do yeah, is really good. crazy, and uh, he never got the respect that he deserves for those, and I really enjoy his work. He did no, free. indeed. Yeah, no, oh. like, the production and design itself, just from the look of the guns, he's, you know, it does look like a highly advanced uh, advanced technological society, yet how can that be? They're so dumb. They're idiots. so fucking dumb. I don't understand that either. But it's, it's not a movie that's logical in its reasoning. It's not meant to be. It's a spoof. This is from the guys that did the Bill and Ted movies. And uh, from <laughs> what I've heard, I, I read an interview with them, and I read an interview with John Lovitz that said in the beginning when they started the movie that it was very um, almost R-rated. It was dirty. It was heavy on satire. And that, uh, <laughs> that it was a little darker in tone. And then when it was finished, uh, Warner Brothers looked at it and goes, what is this? This is too mature. We want to sell it to kids. And uh, the reasoning, I think, is because it was too close in tone to stay tuned. And um, Warner Brothers had both movies released within three weeks right. of each other. Three weeks of each other, these movies were released. So what I Damn. think they, what they did was they go, well, we'll take the movie, but we're going to edit it down to a kid's movie. That's why it's so short. This movie is crazy short. It's 88 minutes long. And uh, oh, I, yeah. I oh. want to see the original version. I want to see the one that is nearly two hours that is heavy on satire and uh, you know has like a more of a ball of humor. And I don't know. Oh, I don't know how to ever see that. Okay. Um. Who was the voice of Rex from Toy Story? Rex. Which one was Rex in Toy Story? You know, Rex, the big green uh, one, the big. Oh, sword. the dinosaur. It was Wallace Shawn, the one from Princess Wallace Bride. Wallace Shawn. Yes, he has an appearance in this too. He's, He's so the one who tiny. ends up helping him. I had no idea he was so tiny. He's like pocket size. He's like a Lego minifigure. I can put him in my pocket. Oh, I know. Gosh, I even when he made a brief appearance in Sex in the City, it's like, so yeah, what do you think? Isn't he? Isn't he so witty? He's like, oh my God, he's a hobbit. <laughs> but he's a, he 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 plays a real sensitive role here. It's kind of out of the norm for him because he usually plays severely neurotic, severely like jerk kind of people. And this one, he, like he's a little neurotic, but for the most part, he's heartbroken. He wants to do the right thing. And I cannot believe who his love interest is. Did this stun oh you? Oh, my God. Kathy Island. Yeah, I know. Wow. Oh. I know. Big, famous model, too. Terrible actress, though. Terrible fucking actress. But, yeah, she oh, was let's, beautiful. Yeah, let's for Pete Nielsen. What's that? Oh, you know, oh, yeah. Tony Cox was actually, uh, he plays, uh, he plays Glad. He plays one of the guard dogs. That, the effects on the dog, dog the guard dogs are really good. Those. Oh, impressive. I know. It is like I said, wonderful puppetry, wonderful animatronics. It's I know it's just so authentic because it's actual sets. Yeah, oh. it's uh, it's before CGI like... took over. This is one of those movies. It only costs fourteen million, but it looks it looks so much more expensive. It's just it's a crew that knew what they were doing and uh, they cut costs as much as possible. Yep. Uh, the director oh. is the director of License to Drive, I think. If I remember correctly, have you ever seen that? What's that one about? What's that? What's that one about? Oh, License to Drive is the one with Corey Feldman, Corey Aim, and they're 16 oh, and they're supposed to get the license. That's right. Oh, I remember. I, I definitely remember now. Oh, God. He also uh, directed Bushwhacked with Daniel Stern, the one that the, the, the Boy Scout movie. 
That's right. Yes. Oh my God, I do remember that one. And he's been like framed for a murder, and he ends up like you know posing as this uh, camp leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, it's weird that he did all these kid movies or you know, like more family comedy movies, and then he ended up being uh, uh, on Smallville. That changed everything for him. He worked on Smallville for the entire series, I think. And then he worked on Heroes. Oh, wow. he, uh, he did Melrose Place. He does Defenders, Falling Skies. He does a lot of darker stuff now. I wonder if he misses cool. doing comedy. I know. Like it would be, it would be pretty intriguing to see him, like you know, make a comeback with comedy. Yeah. Uh, this movie, like I said, got dumped. It only made two million dollars, and it's a big oh. shame because this movie is hilarious, even in its childish form. Uh, it's still really, really funny. I know my friend Molly, even at, like her age, like I showed this to her like what five, almost six years ago, and she laughed her ass off. She loved it. I mean, anyone else I showed this to, always got a kick out of it. I love the scene with the bomb. The bomb that literally says, pick me up. And if you pick it up, it's a light bomb, and it just basically disintegrates. Disappears. And everybody picks it up, and oh, my God, it's ridiculous. I think we're going to need some more reinforcements. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so uh, I want to go back real quick. Uh, the writers of uh, Mom and Dad Save the World, of course, they had so much success with the Bill and Ted series. But I was looking at the writers of Stay Tuned, and I had never heard of them. And it was a writing partner, Tom Parker and Jim Jewelin, I think was his name. So right after, oh, okay. right after, stay tuned. They hit the gold. <laughs> Wowzers! Sorry. Cool. All right. Uh, they hit the gold mine, and they did three huge movies or four huge movies in one year. In 1994, they wrote for Major League Two, The Flintstones, oh, wow. Getting Even with Dad, and Richie Rich. Oh, dang! Yeah, those were shit. And guess All what? All those movies I grew up with. Yeah. And they haven't worked since. How the fuck do you sell four scripts in one year and then you never work again? I guess they just lived a comfortable life and were done with Hollywood or they couldn't find work. I, I, I'm not going to think it's couldn't find work. Man, that has to suck though. Like, holy crap, look what we just did. I haven't got a phone call in a while. Oh boy. <laughs> guess, uh, I, guess I'll, worked out. I guess I'll be teaching a writing class at college. I don't know what to do now. Exactly. Oh. Well, anyway, like I said, I think this movie still holds up. I think it will. It's still such an enjoyable movie. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's a little harder to find than Stay Tuned. Um, I think Warner Bros. is also kind of hiding it. But uh, Ed Solomon, the writer of this, is the writer of A Men in Black. Oh wow. Yeah. So I mean, of course, he didn't create Men in Black because it was a comic book. But he's also responsible for that piece of shit, Super Mario Brothers. Blah. I know, right? <laughs> that, that was not Super Mario. It was <laughs> that great. Was not, that was lie. That was, that was a lie. They, they, they tricked us. Uh, I think that's it for us here. Um, anything else you want to say about either of these movies? Oh, I highly recommend watching them. I think you should show them to your kids to let them know what movies were like before the computer-generated imagery. Yeah, there's a little bit of CGI in Stay Tuned, but it's very early 